When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, sometimes it's the paranormal, and sometimes I just don't know what it is. (laughs) Welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Oh, boy. Um, Yeah, great week ready to go here. I'll only be here tonight. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thanks for joining me. Tonight is the only appearance I'll make with you this week. We've got Bruce the Shark Markison coming in for um, the guest host slot tomorrow night and Thursday night. He's got some really good shows coming up. Now, I'm going to tell you this. There is an effort to kind of switch some things around because I did want to do a couple of these interviews myself that are scheduled for tomorrow and Thursday, and I'm not sure how um, Orion and Slick Eddie have been successful or not in switching these around, but I'll let you know, as it stands right now, tomorrow night, Lex Nover will be on the show. He is the web producer for Coast to Coast AM. Of course, you've heard of that program, the grandfather of all paranormal radio programs, the, the, the program that we all owe our existence to those of us who are in this particular line of work. Anyway, he's the author of a new book called Nightmare Land. Uh, It's a mind-expanding exploration of sleep disorders and unusual dream states. Right now, he's scheduled for tomorrow night, but I'm hoping that we can make a last-minute switch because I I really want to have that uh, interview myself. And then Thursday night, um, another very, very interesting uh, discussion. The hosts of The Holzer Files. Did you catch that show Friday night on Travel Channel? Dave Schrader, good friend. Also, Cindy Kaza, who's a psychic, and Shane Pittman, who's the equipment tech. They reopened the case files of America's first ghost hunter, Dr. Hans Holzer. It's on the Travel Channel. It's a new show called The Holzer Files, and they'll be on right now as it stands Thursday night to talk about that. Uh, now, speaking of that, um, Friday night was a particularly interesting night for paranormal television it was the premiere of ghost nation wonder if you saw it i watched it of course uh i thought you know i i thought it was it was really well done i expected it to be a little bit more uh of a change from ghost hunters but it really wasn't but that's okay because it felt really comfortable to watch jason of course steve uh, gonzalves and dave tango um, coming together again to do the work they do best. That was really cool. Now, Jason is essentially done with um, filming and promoting for this season of Ghost Nation, so he'll be back here with us very, very soon. And um, But it was, it was an interesting program. It was a, an interesting investigation. Uh, I thought it was, uh, it was, like I said, comfortable, familiar, all those good things. And uh, it'll be fun to watch the season unfold. I think there's 10 episodes in the season of... Um, of Ghost Nation. So the um, only thing I'll say about the split, because people have been talking about it between Jason and Grant, if you know Ghost Hunters, you know what I'm talking about, Jason Hawes and Grant Wilson. 
Um, you know, it's a bit sad, but they're both doing their own, their own thing, which is kind of cool. Um, I didn't think the return of Ghost Hunters was quite as impactful as it could have been. Uh, I think there's some, personally, I think they, they need to shake things up there a little bit. Needs to change a little bit because the way it is right now, it's not really adding anything. Um, but anyway, but Grant's a great friend. I've been trying to get him on the program to talk about it, um, but he's busy as well. So hopefully you got to watch those programs. A uh, lot of new paranormal programming coming out on Travel Channel Travel Channel, and A&E and other networks. Paranormal seems to be the hot topic when it comes to new uh, reality programming. So keep an eye on what's going on. So tonight we're going to be talking about UFOs, not just UFOs, but actually UFOs that visit our schoolyards. Our guest, Preston Dennett, will be here. He is a UFO author and a researcher, and he will share true accounts from his book, and it's called Schoolyard UFO Encounters. He says UFOs are intentionally hovering over and landing next to our schools. Why? What are they doing? Well, we're going to figure all that out when we bring him into the program. Uh, Before we do that, I want you to go to Facebook, and I want you to like J.V. Johnson. Find me on there. Like the page so you can follow what I'm up to and uh, also do the same thing for beyond reality radio and then go to uh, YouTube and find the JV Johnson YouTube channel, which is also the beyond reality radio YouTube channel because there we've got gosh over 400, I think back episodes of beyond reality radio for your enjoyment, plus some special programming. Plus we stream live there. If you don't have a radio station that carries the program in your market, you can uh, watch and listen right on YouTube live. It's a really great way to join the conversation. Plus, we have a chat room that's associated with that YouTube channel. And that chat room gets a little crazy. I will tell you that. Hey, all my chatters. Good to see you there. Let's see. Anything? Oh, the most important thing that I need to mention. The reason I won't be here tomorrow and or, well, and Thursday uh, is because Scaricon is coming up this weekend. What is Scaricon, you ask? It is an event that celebrates horror, paranormal, sci-fi, pop culture, entertainment. And when I say celebrate, it's just a big convention with vendors, celebrities, film screenings all weekend long, 50 film screening premieres over the weekend that are as part of your admission of Scaricon. Uh, panel discussions, Q&A sessions, photo ops, autograph sessions, it's uh, it's it's just a coming together of a lot of people who not only enjoy scary movies or paranormal reality television or whatever it happens to be. It's just a lot of fun. The parties are fantastic. It is a great, great weekend. It is October 18th through the 20th in Rochester, New York at the Rochester Riverside Hotel. If you haven't gone to the website to see what is going on, looking at the schedule, all those things, do it now. Go to Scaricon.com. Check it out because it is going to be a fantastic weekend. It's family-friendly. Kids under 10 are free, and it is a great time. A lot of people come in costume, a lot of superhero costumes, a lot of uh, horror character costumes. Uh, Nothing necessarily scary about it. It's just a lot of fun. So if you are anywhere within uh, driving or even flying distance, which means you anywhere you are, you're within flying distance. Come to Rochester, New York this weekend. Come for all three days. Come for one, come for two, whatever. It's going to be a great weekend, and you're all invited. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we will bring our guest in again. Tonight, we're talking with Preston Dennett about UFOs in our schoolyards. That's tonight on Beyond Reality Radio.
Look out, Rochester. Scaricon is coming for you. The Northeast's leading fan convention for all things pop culture is celebrating its ninth year at the Rochester Riverside Hotel, October 18th through the 20th. Scaricon brings an amazing group of celebrities, panel discussions, film screenings, great vendors, and amazing parties. It's a weekend of fun from start to finish, and it's family-friendly. For more information, visit Scaricon.com and check us out on Facebook. Use the promo code BRR at checkout to save 20% on your admission. That's Scaricon.com, October 18th the 20th in rochester new york again tonight we're talking about ufos but not just ufos in general we're talking about true accounts of schoolyard visitations by ufos our guest tonight preston dennett has a book out called schoolyard ufo encounters 100 100 true accounts his website is prestondennett.weebly.com preston welcome to beyond reality radio great to have you here tonight hey thanks for having me on how does somebody become not just interested in, because I think many of us are interested in, but interested in, in to the point where you're writing books and researching and studying the UFO, UFO phenomena? How did that happen for you? <laughs> right? Um, well, you know, I certainly wasn't looking for it. I was skeptical, actually, very skeptical, and found out, this was back in 1986, uh, that my family, my friends, my coworkers, a lot of people around me that I loved and trusted for years we're having encounters, and we're keeping it secret from me, uh, which was pretty upsetting in a number of ways. Uh, sort of all began when I heard a report on the news about a sighting over Alaska. It's now a very famous sighting. Uh, this was November 1986, and I didn't believe it for a second. I thought this pilot, you know, he's lying, he's on drugs, he's hallucinating. I don't know what's going on. But it was interesting because I thought, you know, this pilot commercial jet pilot is putting his reputation on the line and describing something very incredible. And I sort of started asking people, and that's why I found out my brother saw a UFO, uh, my sister-in-law saw a UFO, uh, people at work. Every single one of these people had witnesses with them. I ended up you know, pretty much interviewing all of these people because, yeah, it floored me. It hit home literally and uh, was not easy to adjust to. You um, so you were surprised to find that so many people close to you had 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 some type of encounter or experience with an unidentified flying object. Now, as you started to learn this, did you find that those people hadn't told you or you hadn't discussed it because they were afraid of being uh, ridiculed in some fashion, or they just didn't feel like it was something they wanted to share? What was the reason people uh, didn't share this information with you prior to that? Yeah, I mean. I was scandalized, honestly. I asked them that, and uh, they said, well, you would not have believed me, and you probably would have made fun of me. And, you know, I, I was pretty skeptical, I have to say. You know, I, did, I had made some false assumptions about, you know, the stars are too far away, you know, ETs look too much like us, a number of different things I was just throwing out there uh, without really looking at the evidence. And so, yeah, people were, by and large, didn't speak. Yeah. Uh, because they were afraid of ridicule. Were you um, skeptical because you didn't believe that uh, there was anything unusual in our skies, or you didn't believe that whatever was there was extraterrestrial in nature? What was the what was the foundation of your skepticism? Uh, ultimately, it was a refusal to look at the evidence, just because I, you know, was thought I, I, you know, it's hard to say. <laughs> uh, it, it was a slow process for me to to lose that. You know, I, I wouldn't say it's actually 
this whole process, you know, learning that UFOs are real has made me more skeptical in a lot of ways, really has made me re-question everything. Uh, it was not an easy process. I had to change my entire worldview and uh, All right, sort of so, so to it let, let without me, really looking at the evidence. Let me ask you this, though. Are you um, at the point in your belief that you believe there's something going on but we don't know what it is or are you convinced at this point that the things that we're calling ufos at least some of them are actually visitors from another planet universe whatever it happens to be extraterrestrial in nature yeah i'd say i'm fairly well convinced that it's my assessment we're dealing with the ets it's evidence i mean the evidence i think speaks to that the extraterrestrial theory is the one that fits best yeah, I do think that's what we're dealing with. I mean, we have crash retrieval stories, you know, accounts of alien bodies being held in Air Force bases, and not just one or two. I mean, there's literally hundreds of these stories coming out from pretty credible whistleblowers. Uh, so it's really hard to walk away from the extraterrestrial theory from my standpoint, at least at this time. And you, um, you know, these people that were coming forward to tell you that, yeah, in fact, they had had some kind of experience with the UFO. Uh, were those people telling you stories of simple sightings? Like, I think most of us at one point have seen a little dot go across the sky, you know, in the night. Um, it, it's, it's UFO because we don't know what it is. It's unidentified to us. Um, but most likely it's a satellite going by or, or something else that's certainly not as interesting as, a, as an alien visitor. Uh, right. But the people that were coming forward with your stories that were within your sphere of influence, people that you knew, uh, had anybody had a, a, an experience that was significant enough, enough that they either A, saw some type of extraterrestrial being, B, got a full view of a complete uh, alien craft of some, port, some sort, um, or were these more, you know, there's you know three three lights in the sky that I can't identify kind of thing? All right, well, that is the most common type of setting I hear is sort of an anomalous light at night, that dark yeah. brown is pretty yeah. brief. Right. Uh, but I have to tell you what I heard a quote from Jalen Hynek early in my research that said one in 40 people have had an onboard experience. And I thought, well, no, I mean, that's way too many. I'm going to interview everyone I know. I know 40 people and didn't have to ask that many. And, yes, I found you know, my sister-in-law had a face-to-face encounter with gray ETs, uh, actually in front of an elementary school. Uh, I had a friend who had missing time after a close encounter. Oh, wow. Um, I brought it up at work, and you know, the ladies I'd worked with for years, Diane, she's like, oh, yeah, me and my whole family watched this darting object. She describes the sort of most common type of setting, you know, anomalous light at night. And then in walks Dorothy, and she's oh, UFOs? One followed me and my girlfriend and my mom home from the library. She describes this whole story of this metallic disc with little lights around it. It's right over their car. Uh, this is in Koreatown in, here in Southern California. And she's like, it's really weird, Preston. You know, we left the library at 9 o'clock. We got home right away, and this thing followed us. And when I looked at the clock, it was 10.15. We lost like an hour of time. And she had no idea about missing time. You know, she did not... This was well before, you know, Bud Hopkins' book had become a bestseller, Missing Time, and this sort of subject was popularized. Here here she was describing an abduction, basically. When this started for you, um, you said you were a skeptic. What did you start doing at that point that um, led to the point where you were writing books? I mean, there's a little bit of a period in between when you start hearing this information and start questioning it to the point where you're authoring books. Right. Well, I certainly 
headed for the library. I'm like, well, these people can't be right. They're they're not lying. I know they're not lying. I'm going to prove to them it's swamp cast. You know, I don't know what's going on here, but this can't be happening. I've never heard you know, aliens invading Earth, and this was not brought up in schools. It was brought up on TV a couple of times. There was one show in search of, and uh, didn't believe it when I watched it. Are you talking about the Leonard Nimoy search of? Yeah. I tell yeah. you, I, you know, my, my audience is a little tired of hearing me say this, but uh, I cannot count the number of guests on this program that ha- have said that that's, that program was an inspiration for them in their pursuits of paranormal topics, and it was for me as well. I, it's amazing to me how a rather short-lived series uh, that was never on primetime, it was always a syndicated-type program, uh, was so influential to so many people. Yeah, I remember it well. I'm like looking at it thinking, mm, no, 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 no. I just didn't believe it. Welcome back to the show. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Follow me on Facebook. Go to the YouTube channel. Find that as well. It's just J.V. Johnson on YouTube. Please subscribe there. Um, and I also want you to check out Scaricon.com. I'm going to talk about it quite a bit tonight because I leave for Scaricon tomorrow afternoon. The Shark, Bruce Markison, will be here tomorrow night and Thursday night to uh, carry the program as our guest host. So check it out, Scaricon.com. Tonight we're talking about UFOs. We love talking about UFOs. Specifically tonight, though, we're talking about schoolyard UFO encounters with the author of a book with the same name called Schoolyard UFO Encounters. Preston Dennett is our guest tonight. Preston, when you um, started to research UFO encounters and sightings and abductions and all of this stuff, you must have come across names like Travis Walton, Betty and Barney Hill. Um, did you look into those cases at all? Obviously, they're very famous abduction cases. Oh, yeah. Those were some of the early well-known cases. And uh, there wasn't a lot of information out there when I began. Uh, sort of The field sort of exploded at the same time I entered it. And uh, there was a lot more cases growing after that but uh and you know how many books have you written about this particular topic or actually any paranormal topic for that matter uh 24 books total and i think it's like 14 or 15 about ufos in particular wow when did you start uh it was around 1996 my first book was published after you know a good about 10 years of research i'd written uh, 50 or so articles and uh, had run into a number of UFO healing cases where people have been healed of a physical ailment as a result of a UFO encounter. And I thought, gosh, you know, that would make a great article, and found way more cases than I thought, and it ended up into my first book, and sort of just never stopped after that. Can we talk a second about UFO healing cases? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I actually rewrote... Um, that first book, which had 100 cases, I've uh, now put out a new book, The Healing Power of UFOs, which has 300 cases. And man, oh man, I can tell you for sure that one of the ET agendas, and I'm not just talking about the grays, but literally you know, all types of ETs, the mantids, the human-looking ones, uh, all categories, really, uh, is to heal hum- humans of physical ailments. I mean, there's just way too many cases. I've gotten from all major researchers, pretty much, John Mack, Bud Hopkins, David Jacobs, Yvonne Smith, Barbara Lamb, I, mean, I could go right down the list of all the major researchers have these types of cases. Uh, they're just not talking about them a lot. Are, um, are abduction cases related to healing cases, or are they two very separate things? Uh, no, they're definitely related. I would say about half the people who 
claimed to have had a UFO healing uh, were taken on board a craft. Uh, definitely your chances of, you know, in terms of who gets healing and why, uh, people who are having prior UFO experiences account for about half the cases. These healing cases, obviously you've looked at a lot of them. Give us an example of one that impresses you the most. Uh, a great early case was involved two police officers in Damon, Texas, uh, Deputy Good and McCoy, and they're driving along. They see this UFO. It covers over their car, sends down a beam of light, and hits one of the officers on his arm, which is hanging out the window. Turned out he had, had been bitten by his son's baby pet alligator uh, earlier and uh, had a wound on his finger. Well, this beam hits his arm, and he can feel it. You know, it's warm and tingling, he says. And uh, they drive off pretty scared of, of this object. You know, it's 50 feet long. It's right next to them on the road here. And uh, they race away, pull off in a diner, and uh, that's when he realizes, you know, they're talking about the sighting, that his finger isn't hurting anymore, rips off the bandage, and the flesh wound that he had had, you know, which was swollen and pretty painful, was gone. That's a well-known case. Wow. And, and uh, you said that there were two policemen involved. Uh, one received the healing, and the other one witnessed the whole thing? Right. And mind you, the one who had the healing was a supervisor of about 30 men. Um, you know, a real <laughs> credible witness, for sure. You can still look this case up on the Internet. There's actual live interviews of it. Uh, so it's a great, well-known case. Um, very One of the early ones to sort of break out on this particular subject. Wow. Um, I don't know if this is an appropriate time to bring this up, but uh, we have a couple of folks in our chat room, um, Amanda and Sebastian, who said, talk about my son. Does that make um, it? Does that ring any bells for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been working with a lot of people. And, uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but... <laughs> um, no, I, I, I know the case I think you're you talking about. You know the case, about. yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, well, we, well can, we, we can talk about it later if, if, if it fits in appropriately. Um, you know, the whole idea of healing, I mean, some people think that these ET or, or UFO encounters with their abductions are actually more nefarious than that. In fact, you know, some folks claim to have had um, devices implanted in them that monitor them, in some cases control them. So I guess there's a bit of a, of a discrepancy between someone who might claim that they were abducted and healed and then someone that they might that claim they were abducted and somehow harmed. Uh, how do you, is it just a matter of who is abducting who or how does that work? Yeah, well, each case is unique. I think what we're finding is that the behavior of ETs falls under pretty much the same umbrella as human behavior, but it's skewed a little bit more towards the positive. Right. The problem with the abduction phenomena is it is kidnapping, and that's against the law in pretty much, you know, wherever you go on this planet. <laughs> Do the laws apply uh, to the ETs? I don't know how that works. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, that's not a benevolent act. Uh, but what we don't see is intentions to harm people. They're not trying to scare people. There's no, I mean, there's very little evidence of sadism or torture. I don't get cases like that. Uh, so I'm pretty, you know, hopeful about the whole result of all this. So you, you're, you're optimistic. You're optimistic that uh, their intentions are, are noble or benevolent in some way. Yeah, because the first message we get is, you know, don't be afraid. We won't hurt you. That's pretty much universal. After that, it's messages pretty much about environmental warnings warnings against nuclear proliferation, against pollution, against violence, or perhaps spiritual messages 
about uh, healing. That comes up quite a bit. Or being taken to the engine room and told how you know, there's other energies and fossil fuels to use. Uh, and things like that. So uh, if, if their intention is benevolent, why is it so mysterious? Why are they uh, not, you know, we always use this reference and it's kind of a cliche now, but why are they not landing on the White House lawn declaring their presence and say, hey, if you want to be healed, line up? Yeah, it's definitely an enigma. We don't know the answer. There does seem to be sort of a push towards open official contact. And I say that because there are lots of, lots of waves of sightings where they're clearly not being evasive like they normally are. I mean, the Phoenix Lights, they're showing themselves off over Mexico City or Hudson Valley, Gulf Breeze. Um, there's these waves of sightings which amount to a publicity campaign, which seems to be sort of an agenda for ultimately do- pushing towards open official disclosure. Uh, but I'm not sure we're ready for that. You know, we're still a pretty warlike society. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not sure we'll be in our best benefit at this point, really, if that were to happen. Uh, but I think well, that ultimately it will happen at some point. A NASA scientist, and I don't remember the gentleman's name, just declared that he didn't feel that the public was ready to learn that there was extraterrestrial life on Mars, let alone uh, visiting us here on the Earth. Uh, that was in relation to a uh, planned probe next year that is going to go to Mars and drill into the Martian surface. And they feel like if there's any chance of life having existed or still existing on the surface of Mars, it will be under the surface and they will find evidence of it uh, when they do this. And he feels that we're not prepared for that. Do you think we as a population, as a public, are not prepared for that if it were to be true? I think we're absolutely prepared. The reason for the cover-up is not because people might panic, as you know might be properly imagined. Uh, the real reason for the cover-up is people who are holding this information, who have the alien hardware, uh, are holding the power. It pretty much comes down to power and greed and money. Uh, okay, so, so then what you're saying is that there's an advantage to having the knowledge and the technology that's being shared, uh, and why would they want to let everyone have that if they can use it to their advantage? Um, that appears to be largely the yeah. situation, but there's a number of factors that you know go into this. This is the cover-up. You stretches back, and it's demonstrable. This is not speculation. You can prove this through the Freedom of Information Act and um, documents released from you know, the NSA, the Air Force, the CIA, uh, all of these intelligence organizations. Yeah. You know that they've studied these subjects and are covering it up uh, and have, have this process, uh, this policy of debunking and ridiculing witnesses. We know this. It's not speculation at all. And it's been going on since at least Roswell, and probably much earlier. They sort of painted themselves into a corner. This is the way they've always done it, and it's hard for them to extricate themselves from the situation. But we do see it happening. Disclosure is marching forward bit by bit. Well, we also know that the Navy recently released some video footage from uh, some aircraft. Uh, One of them is obviously the famous Tic Tac uh, video. And originally they released it, and then they said it should never have been released to the public. And then recently they said that we are saying these videos are legitimate videos. They're not saying they're alien in nature, but what they're saying is that what you see is unidentifiable. We cannot identify it. We're not going to say it's a weather balloon. We're not going to say it's experimental aircraft. We don't know what it is. That's a major step forward, don't you think? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of amused to see that in and a little bit angry all at once because uh, this is coming from, you know, 
a group of people who know full well that this is a real phenomenon, have the physical hardware, they know it's real, and sort of march out this sort of drip-by-drip disclosure is all well and good, but uh, there's a lot of pressure on this subject um, coming from you know, not only the people. I think yeah. ETs have this agenda as well. I think there's probably elements within the organization that's covering this up that is ready to disclose it or it wouldn't be happening. And, uh, you know, I also think that maybe there was a bit of a, a reality check when this whole uh, Storm Area 51 movement got underway and something as simple as a Facebook page being posted that was almost tongue-in-cheek, saying Storm Area 51, they can't stop us all. Uh, and then suddenly three million people are involved and many tens of thousands said they were going to show up and try to do this. And some of them even said they would give their lives for the cause. Uh, that was a bit of a reality check. It didn't, ha- it didn't, you know, it didn't unfold that way, thankfully. Uh, but I think it, at some point it may have made people take notice and say, hey, wait a minute, we better start uh, loosening some of this information because people are getting angry. Right. There was a real resonance there. The military did react. You know, they, increased their guards and made some statements. So it's, they know that, that people are aware of the UFO subject and believe our government is covering this up. Uh, so it's going to be pretty interesting how this all rolls out. Um, my guess is disclosure is coming, but it's going to be step-by-step, bit-by-bit. Yeah, dribs and drabs, right? Uh, Preston, we've had a bunch of people that want to chime in here, so let's grab a couple phone calls before we uh, get back to our conversation. This is, uh, let's see, Amanda in Indiana. Hey, Amanda. Hi, how are you? Great, welcome to the program. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi, Amanda. Hi, Preston. What's on your mind, Amanda? Oh, everything's fine. Um, it's very hard for me and my son to uh, catch Preston's shows all, um, with his college. So, excuse me, So, this is the first time we actually get to catch Preston live. So um, I didn't mean to call Preston out, you know, when it comes to our experiences. Did you have a question? Uh, no, I just thought they might want to hear about, oh, you know, uh, um, our experience, you know, with finding the implant in my son. I thought they might like that. Oh, yeah. Well, tell us about the implant in your son. All right. I'm not really sure what's going on there. Let's go to uh, Thomas in Texas. Well, hey, Thomas, welcome to the program. How you doing? We're doing uh, great. How are you? I'm sorry. Uh, in 1976, uh, my landscaping crew and I uh, were uh, about 2.30 in the afternoon uh, near Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. We're laying sod, and we looked up, and there was this huge craft close in the sky. It was uh, just very plain looking. It was white. It was a big white disc, and uh, just hovered there and uh, for a few minutes and just, shoo, just took off like it was fired out of a slingshot and I uh, I I knew it was. Yeah, I mean they're real, and I'm going to just tell you this straight up. Second Thessalonians chapter two in the Bible says, "Even him who's coming is after the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders." Uh, this is they're demonic. I'm telling you. I so just, I so you you've had an experience, Thomas, and and you see a direct correlation with some type of spiritual uh, demonic entity here. Absolutely, there hmm. are going to be a huge. Uh, uh, they're gonna they're gonna reveal themselves when the Antichrist is about to be set up. And they're gonna say they're our space brothers, and they're gonna have a, a cures for everything, and uh, they're gonna heal the planet of all our woes for a little while, and then they'll be revealed with the Antichrist as being demonic. But it'll be too late. Wow. The Bible says you'll be damned for believing this deception. So look at it after the show, Second Thessalonians chapter two, 
If you reject Jesus Christ, you're going to have to believe it because it's going to seem so true. All right, well, God will send them a strong delusion through Satan, and they'll believe a lie. The right. whole world's going to buy into this garbage. But yeah. Well, Thomas, uh, I appreciate you calling and give us, giving us that insight. Uh, we don't have time to take another call, but we will hang on the line. We will get to your calls after the top of the hour break. But I want uh, Preston to comment. Um, any connection to d- demonic activity that you've seen in your research? No, and I've certainly looked into it. Believe me, I've studied demonology, and uh, it's just a completely different phenomena and uh, not related to this. I know there's a lot of people who believe that, but I can tell you with you know pretty good confidence that it's not. And I want to go back, if I can, to uh, the Amanda, who just spoke, uh, which I want to say she's a lovely person and her son, and I would like to talk about their case. I didn't um, you know, know if they wanted me to. I see. All right, let's do this, because she has called back and she's on hold. So um, on the other side of our top-of-the-hour break, I'll bring her back on, and we can talk about the case. Is that You want to handle it that way? Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I'm delighted to hear from her. She's a lovely okay. person. Okay, all right, perfect. I did, there, was, there was a little hesitation there. I was sure, wasn't sure quite what was going on, so we'll do that after the break. Before we go to break, however, Preston, uh, like you said, you've got a, a bunch of books on this topic and others. Where can people find your books? Yeah, I've got a website. Uh, if you just Google my name, it should take you there, PrestonDennett.Weebly.com, also on Amazon or other online booksellers. Uh, yeah. So it's that simple, and they're all available that way? Exactly, yeah. Where do you recommend, uh, obviously with your uh, volume of work, which of the books would you recommend people start with, particularly if they're interested in the UFO topic? I would say Inside UFOs is one of my most popular right now. Uh, but, you know, you're asking me to choose between my babies. I know, I know. <laughs> and we still haven't quite gotten to the book, Schoolyard UFO Encounters, but we will, I promise. Let's <laughs> let's go to, um, this is Will in Alaska. Hey, Will, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'll get right to the point here. I wonder if you could tell me a couple of things. Number, first of all, I always never hear how old they are. I'd like to hear the ages, how long they live. How old are they? How far ahead of us are they in their society? The other thing is I'd like to hear what they eat. I never hear about eat. I'd like to hear about the reproduction and how they how they handle family. And the final thing, and I'll get off here, okay, uh, it's my opinion we're way, way, way not alone. And I think there is some type of air traffic control or some type of galactic rules. And any input about an air traffic controller must be a bad dude because if you gave me a saucer – I'd probably be uh, in jail in, in two and a half days. So. <laughs> and I'll get off here unless you have some questions of me. But thanks for your show, and thanks for your, your guest tonight. Well, thank you for listening, and thanks for the call. What do you think about that, Preston? I mean, first of all, do we know anything about uh, the age of these civilizations? And secondly, do we have any idea of what they eat or what they're when they're here? Are they bringing their own food supply with them on board their craft, or are they taking stuff off of uh, off of the earth? Yeah, I mean, we don't know a lot. I mean, particularly when it comes to grays, we know that there's some indication that they do um, age much longer than us, two, three hundred years. Uh, we don't know this. You know, there's some ETs have said this, but how would you trust them? Uh, civilizations, yeah, there's some indication, of course, that their civilizations are much older than ours. Some ETs have told this directly to experiencers. But there's not a whole lot of evidence, you know, as far as the grays, what they eat. Uh, Here's that they absorb nutrients through their skin, and there's this sort of substance that's rubbed on their skin. At least this is what we see with hybrid babies. Uh, we really don't know. So yeah. Reproduction, yeah, we 
think that they're probably cloning themselves and doing hybrid babies. We know quite a bit about BAPS. They seem to be all about that. Uh, so there's quite a bit of focus on that. As far as family groups, no, there's not a whole lot of evidence of that. And, uh, you know, as far as who's doing the air traffic controlling, that, that's a great question because if there truly is a UFO phenomenon, there's as many you know, ETs out there as I think there are and the evidence is showing, uh, we're in some kind of weird quarantine situation where they're, you know, like you said, not landing on the White House lawn and uh, somebody's keeping these craft away. Someone's in control. We don't know exactly what's going on here. Yeah, those are great th- questions. Thank you, Will. All right, let's uh, let's now take a minute to bring Amanda back into the program. Didn't mean to cut you off, Amanda. I just wasn't sure what was happening there. But uh, welcome back. And you say that uh, your son has had a device implanted. Tell us what's going on. Yeah. Uh, hi, Preston, by the way. Hi. <laughs> um, in August of 2015, um, it took a lot to honestly uh, grasp grasped this, you know, for a long time that this has actually happened. We went to, went to the dentist, and um, it was a regular dentist checkup, like he always has, and it took longer than expected. I'm sitting here waiting out in the lobby, and um, then they said, you know, would you come back? And I was like, yeah, sure, okay. They actually took me in the back room where you're not allowed to go back because that's where they do all the cleaning in this specific, specific um, dentist's office. And they brought me back, and there were beforehand there were like 11 dentists because in this dentist office there's like a lot of dentists who work on people for lower-income families. But um, there were like 11 dentists in a corner, you know, and I see that looking through the glass. I'm like, what's going on? And they call me back and they go, um, we have a certain situation. And I said, yeah. And they said that there's a, there's a metal piece, metal round orb um, underneath his tooth. And I was, I kind of made a joke actually, cause um, we, I made a joke, you know, Oh, you know, it's probably an implant. And then the, the dentist looked at me and goes, yeah. And I kind of, turned to her and I was like, you're joking, right? And she goes, no. She goes, I've worked here um, 12 years. And she goes, I've never in all my, you know, I've never seen anything like this. She goes, where it's at, she goes, it's absolutely impossible. Um, it's right under the tooth where you would literally have to go in there surgically, take the tooth out with the roots and all, put it underneath, and then put the tooth back without having any incision marks. And he has, we yeah, without any pain, without anything. And there's never been any pain. There's there's no incision. There's no entry or out. And um, she goes, what we find even more odd is that it's perfectly an orb shape, like a metal device, you know. And it's what happened worse is it disappeared. And they go, wait, where'd it go? And then whoa, they... Whoa, whoa, um, whoa, whoa. It disappeared as they were looking at it? Yes, and Preston is aware of this. Or in a we subsequent... have the x-rays to prove it. Or was I sent it, them to hold, him. Hold on, hold on. Amanda, um, Amanda, the, Amanda, hold on. Did it disappear? Like they they took an X ray, they saw it, and then yes. was it a subsequent visit that they took another X ray and it was no longer there? No, they they were um, were taking two um, through Medicaid. You're they have to go through different things, and you're only allowed two X rays. But they took the first one; it was there, and they're like, "Oh, okay, you know that's odd." So they went and took another one, and they it was gone. It was completely gone. All, with, even, all within the it was same like two minutes, Preston. I within, think it was within two and, minutes. Okay. 30 seconds, yes. actually. And 30 seconds, well. 
Oh, was it 30 seconds? Okay. I can't remember. And um, and then uh, they went and said, well, wait, 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 wait. we got to take this again. And, see, and they took it. And then it was back again. And it does it every single time that we go there, every time that he has a six-month checkup, and they do his x-rays. And um, I've said that he's depressed, and he's very well aware. And I just thought it might be a neat story to share for everybody. No, it's, you a, know? it's a great um, story. It takes a long time. It took a lot of dent in our faith, I can tell you that right now. And we went Amanda? through a lot of... Um, Issues because of that. <laughs> Amanda, um, how old's your son? Uh, he's 21 now. He's 21 now. When, how old was he when this was happening? Well, comes to find out, when I look back and I actually went for the uh, dentist records, um, he's had this actually since he was 12 years old. Oh, wow. They never told us this. And we just found this out, and I go, why didn't you tell us? And they just they had no answer. So if so, you look back, if you look back uh, to those earlier years, uh, do you, can you correlate any instance or incident where um, your son may have had some kind of contact with whether it was extraterrestrial or otherwise to uh, have a situation where he could have received this implant? Um, honestly, 100 percent. No, hmm. um, we were not believers. In, in, I mean, we, be- we knew there was other stuff out there, but we were not like. I mean, we believed in God, and um, there just those things. That we just didn't think about it. And yeah. then there were things that happened to me when I was younger. But it's one of those things you push off, and you go, "Oh, you know, that was just a dream." When and you then said, when things like this happen, more and more things yeah. started to come. And I've talked to Preston about that. Okay, and when you say more memories start to surface, when you say that things happened to you when you were younger, does that mean you had alien visitations or were abducted or something? Well. I, I think, but again, I, I'm a very big skeptic, okay. and um, right. sometimes I like to push it off. It was a dream. <laughs> okay, but you you, ha- you remember an experience, whether you, you can say it was real or a dream, you're not sure, but something happened. Yes. Okay, all right. Yes. Um, and I find that interesting because I've often heard that many times this follows families um, you know, over time. Preston, I want your thoughts and your, uh, your ideas on what uh, Amanda's story is here. Obviously, you've looked into it. Um, yeah, it's um, not an unusual story. This is something I hear from a lot of people. It's unusual to have the actual x-rays um, showing the object. Um, they're delightful witnesses, and it uh, took me a while to figure out what was going on, because uh, they kind of denied any UFO history at all. When I first contacted them, they're like, what's going on? You know, what is this thing that, you know, is showing up on these x-rays? And I'm like, well, have you ever seen a UFO? Well, it turned out her son did have a very close-up sighting at one point. Um, and I think they probably are having contact. I mean, after yeah. speaking with them in, um, in detail, I, I, I understand Amanda uh, likes to remain grounded. And, you know, it's definitely possible a lot of her experiences are dreams. She's talk, talking about her lucid dreaming, uh, which I'm totally into. Uh, but, I, yeah, I do believe they're having contact. Uh, and uh, their case matches up very well with what I'm seeing with other people, and in particular her son. I think is really special and sort of the type of person who's getting contacted, uh, who is you know, sort of sensitive in a way, psychic. Um, she told me quite a bit about how he's had a lot of premonitions and clairvoyance type experiences, do you think that, which I hear a lot. Do you think the, the, the premonitions and the psychic ability is a direct uh, result of this implant? Is it connected? Um, I think it might be. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say. We don't know what these implants are for. Right. But I can tell you there's a number of cases where people have told me, you know, experiencers, that the ETs told them that it was to measure the level of pollution in their body in one case, boost the immune system in another, uh, these sort of things. It was all health-related, measure their vitals. 
these sort of things. Right. Amanda, Amanda, um, has there ever been any testing done that indicates there's any kind of RF radio frequency coming from this implant? Anything being emitted or any kind of electrical activity that can be detected in the implant? Um, I'll be honest with you, I never even checked into it. With um, my son being who he is and having these, um, he's one of those, he just doesn't simply like to talk about it. I'm more open about it. He, like, he's scared. Even still this very day, he likes to just not talk about it. And we'll have small discussions about it, but that's as far as he wants to go. He does not, he's scared that if he accepts it, they will see that more as an exception and yeah. a willing like oh it's okay to come he's invade tw- me more and yeah he's so 20 he, uh, he's, yeah. he's 21 now is is as far as you know is that implant still there yes it is it yes. is when's the last time that it showed up on an x-ray um actually just got the x-rays i think it was like two months ago wow mm-hmm. so very recently okay uh amanda we have yeah. to go to break thank you for calling and sharing that story thank with you. us you know we wish you luck and obviously your son luck and hopefully this gets resolved in, in a way that's not so scary for you i, I can understand why this it's might not be upset scary anymore it's well they're they don't mean any harm i've seen that as preston good. says and we're handling this really at ease now good that's good to hear thank you for the phone call preston again final thoughts on that particular case before we go to break yeah, well, it's great to hear from her. Um, thanks for calling in. Uh, yeah, in, in most respects, I have to tell you, it's a typical case. You know, the type of people who are being having experiences are people who are, I think, doing good for humanity in some regard or are sensitive in some way, psychic. They seem to be attracted to that, uh, that sort of person. Uh, yeah, well, I can't tell you how much, you know, experiences have told me. Yeah. All right. They well, go to a doctor they see an implant yeah the, the implant thing is is just starting to uh kind of um be talked about it had it, it, i don't know if people just weren't aware for the longest time and it's now just now um being discovered or if it's just now starting to happen i'm not sure which of those two things is the case but we're certainly here certainly hearing more and more about it but this gives us enough, enough time to open this particular conversation at what point did you start recognizing a pattern where ufos were visiting uh, areas that would be close to schools enough to make this something that you would pursue for a specific book title. What uh, what happened, and how did you recognize this? Uh, it just kind of happened sort of randomly. I heard about the Rua Zimbabwe case, of course, which was probably the most famous case around 1994. Some 62 children saw UFO land next to the school, and uh, heard about another famous case shortly after that, the Opalaka case in Florida at Crestview Elementary School, and started to connect the dots. I knew there were a few famous cases, and I looked into it, and I got a real shock. I have to tell you, I was not expecting what I found, which was more than 100 cases uh, all across the world, stretching back, gosh, 170 years, but really from 1950 onward, and uh, just really unusual cases. I mean, these are coming very low during the day, lasting for a long time, 30 of the cases and 30% of the cases, of landings or humanoids. Uh, so, yeah, this was really unusual. When we get back from the break, we'll talk about some of the speculation as to why this is happening. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned it really kind of has taken off since 1950. What is it, in, in 30 seconds or so here, what is it about that time? 1947 was Roswell, you know, early 50s. What is it about that particular time that so many of these UFO cases started to uh, uh become apparent? Um, you know, it's hard to say. All I can tell you is that 
there was a complete absence of cases before this. I found one case in 1857 over Burrick College in Tennessee. But after that, it wasn't until 1950, and after, geez, it's one, two per year at least. Uh, it does coincide pretty close to the atomic age, yeah. uh, the modern age of UFOs, the Roswell crash, all of that. So I think that's connected, but I think we're looking at you know a definite agenda here. Right. Remember to go to Scaricon.com. Check out the weekend. It is going to be a fantastic weekend. I know we've got a lot of listeners in the Buffalo, New York area on WBEN. We thank that station and those listeners. You're a short drive from Scaricon. Scaricon's right in Rochester, New York, the 18th through the 20th. Go to Scaricon.com. There is discounted information. In fact, if you use the uh, promo code BRR, you're going to save 25% in addition to the online discounts for your admission. So go check that out now, give it a try, and join us at Scaricon this weekend. We're talking with Preston Dennett tonight, his book, which takes a look at schoolyard visitations by UFOs. Preston, is this something people need to be worried about? Obviously, kids at school seem to be very, very vulnerable. Um, Do we need to be concerned? Um, Well, I think we should take a look at this. Because what I found is half the cases involve elementary schools, very young children. So they're clearly showing themselves to children for a reason. Uh, These are very unusual encounters. Your average encounter is sort of, like we said earlier, your sort of anomalous light flying by at night. Uh, In these cases, schools are clearly targeted. It's not a coincidence. These objects show up from the horizon or wherever they're coming from and come straight towards the schools, hover directly over them uh, for a long period of time, some cases, you know, hours. Uh, some of these cases take place over a period of days. Um, most of these cases take place during daytime. They're very low-level sightings, 200, 300 feet. Uh, so they're clearly, clearly putting on some sort of a display, um, showing themselves on purpose. I mean, to in most cases, I mean, we're talking about maybe 30 witnesses, 40 witnesses, 50, 100, 200, you know, upwards of 400 cases in a few uh, accounts. So, I mean, what, something is clearly going on here. But if the cases that you have investigated, uh, reported on, included in the book, has anybody been injured? Has there, have there been any uh, reports of uh, injuries or other, uh, I guess, lasting effects? Um, I wouldn't say, well, let me think about this for a second. Lasting, not in most cases. I mean, there's a few cases where it has caused panic. Um, students have fainted or thrown up and, you know, had definite emotional reactions in that regard. Uh, there was one case where a girl did have a close-up UFO sighting and had some physiological reactions, which were apparently permanent. She grew about a foot following her encounter, and she was burned by this UFO. Did you say she grew a foot? Yeah. You mean, you mean you mean twelve inches or like a a another limb? Um, no, twelve. <laughs> <laughs> okay, to make 12, sure. Twelve inches. Yeah, I mean it's an unusual case. It occurred at like, gosh, a week after the landing in Socorro, New Mexico, and not far away from there at Lowell Entry Elementary School, and a bunch of children saw this UFO hovering over the playground. Uh, Sharon Stoll was one of the witnesses, and uh, she was the one who, after this encounter. Um, reported burns on her face, had to be rushed to the nurse, eventually went to the hospital, was diagnosed with second-degree burns, uh, which did affect her vision for a good time there. 
uh, had to be treated for these burns, but following this incident, yeah, it grew about a foot, uh, you know, 12 inches. Wow. The, I'd say about three weeks following the encounter. And has, have any of these uh, been reported uh, to involve an abduction at all? Um, it does happen. Um, it's not super common. There was one case uh, which uh, comes from Leonard Stringfield. And this happened. He got received a call from a frantic father. This was around 1976, uh, who said his son was missing. And in fact, the day before, the son had come home from school, high school, and said a UFO had followed him home, and his parents didn't believe him. And the son ran away from home. He withdrew $500 from his bank account and left a note on the table saying, I think I'm going to be abducted by this UFO. And uh, was gone. They called the police. The police did find him at Atlanta Airport, brought him home, um, and they called up Leonard Stringfield and got the whole story out of this boy who said that actually a year earlier he was at his playground when this UFO hovered overhead. He felt like it was after him. And that evening he had these figures enter his room, you know, the typical sort of small, large eyes, bald head, and said, don't be afraid, but you need to come with us. And that's all he really remembers except, you know, being drawn out of his room. So, yeah, that sort of thing does happen. It happened in the Rua Zimbabwe case following that landing. A number of the students had encounters following this incident. Wow. All right, let's, um, let's grab another listener call here. This is Dave in Kansas. Hey, Dave, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, Preston, JV? Uh, about 10 years ago, I went to the doctor. And I had some neck problems. I did some x-rays. I've been going to this guy for 30 years, you know, so uh, he comes back and he's just looking at me and he's in no problem with your neck, but then he showed me the x-ray and there's this dot about you know, mid-center of the brain, you know. And I said, what is it, a BB? And he just kind of laughed and he used to, I don't know. Well, uh, I had to change doctors. I had to start going out to the VA so they could give you the whole runaround. And I got done. I'm watching this tech, and he's picking up these x-rays. He's just looking, and he walks, looked over at his equipment, looking at the x-rays again. I said, no. what, you see the dot? And he just looked at me with these big eyes. said, you know about this? I said, don't know what it is, but uh, it's, it's there. I have no problems. But it's just it's it's something strange, you no know, two different facilities picking up the same thing. Uh, I don't know if it's an implant or whatever you might call it, but I do believe in items. I've seen seen things before out in the sky. As a matter of fact, about two months ago I went and got my MUFOT number because I saw something. But you no know, with a cell phone you can't take pictures worth a darn. <laughs> Have you had any um, noticeable effects from whatever may be there, that dot that's showing up? I mean, any, any behavioral well, things you know, that you can... Uh, over, like I said, that last year, my eyes, or my right eye, has been watering real bad, and they don't mm-hmm. know what the problem is. They don't know. But otherwise, I'm 66, now, and I'm in fairly good shape. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, no, just a strange coincidence, no that something like that pops up and two different doctors you know within the well 10 year period seen the same thing is it accessible where it is or is it um no it, it's like it's de- just about dead center you know wow so you no know, uh, no i said no problems or anything but uh well that's good it's just it's just strange you know but you know 
things do happen. <laughs> other than other than Dave, other than the, uh, the 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 dot that showed up on the X-ray, have have you had any encounters or experiences that you're aware of with uh, UFO? No, not, no, not with UFOs. You know, I do believe in them. Uh, I think if you don't, I think you better change your coffee because we, we we're not the only ones around in this great you know space that we're living in. But uh, uh, no, I've no found have been able to find like energy points. It's just different feelings that I get. You know, walking around. No, and you don't find them all the time, but once in a while, and I'll hit one, and it's just like a tingling feeling. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> well, uh, Dave, thank you for sharing that with us. We appreciate it, and keep an eye on that, obviously. And if anything changes, let us know. But, Preston, this is not an uncommon story that you're hearing, is it? Oh, no. no I've worked with another abductee, Mike Evans, and he was able to get MRIs of his brain, and which show these sort of foreign bodies is what doctors call them. They run into them fairly regularly, and they're not sure what they are. They're you know, not super common. Uh, I think probably most people who have these do have a UFO history at some point and can relate it to sort of a close-up UFO sighting, uh, at least, or an onboard experience. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to say. There's an amnesia aspect to this whole uh, encounter phenomena. Yeah, well, that is certainly uh, uh, seems to be a common part of this story let's grab another phone call this is our good friend tj how are you tj oh i'm doing good i'm here so i got a question for preston and you have to back me up you know i'm skeptical about a lot of things but i am very much pro believing the ufo abductee story because i'd say some... i'd say you're a healthy skeptic tj yes but this one i kind of like i i buy it right off the bat and that's why i have a question that involves abductions and are Omni, uh, uh, um, uh, omniscient uh, police surveillance society that we live in now, which is when people do experience these, these, these events, why is it there isn't much effort made to, say, go for all the surveillance equipment that exists around us on a daily basis? And for those who do experience it with a relatively high degree of regularity or frequency, I'm a person who would, in those cases, put a nanny cam in my room to at least show a break in circuitry and interference with the electronics, if nothing else, to prove something happened during the time I said it occurred. And I'm wondering if Preston has ever asked people, you know, to do things like this. Have people been asked, or do people just forget to ask this question altogether? It's a great question, a great point, Preston. Uh, yeah, well, I certainly have asked. You know, I've begged people to carry cameras with them. Um, have had a, a few UFO sightings myself with the camera with me, and what did not have the opportunity to use it. Uh, and it was a real close-up sighting, so I kind of get it in some cases. Uh, there are some advocates who have tried real hard to do this sort of thing, set up hidden cameras and stuff like this. Yeah, uh, yep. David Jacobs wrote about this in his book, and, and uh, eventually there'd be a a power failure or anomaly, or they'd wander out into the living room, and that's when it would happen. And, you know, it seems that there's a very concerted effort on the part of the ETs not to give, you know, too conclusive evidence 
Oh, okay. All right. No, that's what I'm saying. Because I would accept even a break in circuitry, like I said, just to show, look, everything went fuzzy, gray, white noise background on the camera during the time I said, and then it came back on at a, at a later point. But, you know, I was always curious as to why people don't make an effort to document and, and provide some peace of mind to themselves for it. Yeah, I mean, there was one case I had on Catalina Island involving 11 witnesses uh, who were actors, artists, and four of them were photographers. And a bunch of people had cameras, and every camera failed. Okay, all right, see, now that would intrigue me, actually. That, that's something that gives credence to the story, in my opinion. But, all right, well, I'll let you go because you probably have other callers, and JV has very good questions that he no doubt wants to get to. So I, I always listen. I love these shows, and you have a great guest, and, uh, Preston, you have a great host. Thank you, TJ, for the compliments, and thank you for the great great questions, as always. Um, we actually are almost out of time here, uh, Preston, and sadly, we haven't covered as nearly as much as I was hoping we would. We're going to have to have you back. I hope you'll agree to that. But before we go, um, do we know who, and this is the million-dollar question, I think, do we know who, and is it a specific race or type of alien that are making these specific schoolyard visitations? Um, appears to be all types. We've got many different types of crafts, spherical, triangular, saucer-shaped with portholes and colored lights. is pretty common, actually. Uh, grays appear, human-looking ones, uh, sort of catch-all categories, pretty much what I see in my own research, which is, you know, at least 50% grays, uh, praying mantis-type, human-looking, uh, reptilian, sort of this catch-all category. And how often is this happening? I mean, you've obviously collected a lot of uh, firsthand accounts and have included them in the book. Um, but is it increasing in frequency, um, staying about the same, and, and how often? Yeah, it seems to be fairly regular, actually. Uh, one or two cases per year involving, you know, it's interesting. There was the first real case that got a lot of publicity was the Hillsdale, Michigan case. In, let's see, this was April 1966. Two weeks after that, there was the Westall High School case involving 200 witnesses. So there's this weird sort of pattern where one case will follow another. One year after the Melbourne case, you know, in Westall High School in Australia, there was the Crestview Elementary case, which involved some 200 witnesses, and again, a UFO landing right next to the school. Um, these are really well-attested cases, and just a few of them have gotten famous, but there is quite a number of them out there. You have uh, this book, which we've been talking about, Schoolyard UFO Encounters. You've got many, many others. And again, let people know where they can get a hold of the books. Yeah, I appreciate that. If you just Google my name, Preston Dennett, it should take you to my website. The actual address is PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. All my books are there. Excerpts, you can reach me through my website. If you, you know, have a question or a story to share or a comment, I always love hearing from people. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Given the number of books you've written since you started writing, I'm sure you've got another one in the pipeline. What's next? I do. I have another one very much like my other book, Inside UFOs, about people who've had very close encounters, uh, people you know who've been taken on board, uh, that sort of thing, face-to-face contact, and sort of the more unusual and extensive cases. Is that going to be out soon? You just started it? How far along are you? Um, I'm Pretty far along. I'm hoping to have it out early next year, the latest. Great. 
Preston, it's been a pleasure. We're going to have you ha- have you back because um, we've got a lot more to talk about if you agree to come back sometime soon. Hey, anytime you got it. Uh, he's written so much and studied so much that we had a lot to talk about. Plus, our callers had some very, very interesting uh, stories to tell us and some very insightful questions. We appreciate all of that. Don't forget, tomorrow night, Bruce the Shark Markison will be our guest host for, uh, it looks like Lex Nover will be our guest. He is the web producer for Coast to Coast AM, the granddaddy of these paranormal programs, and we're excited to have him on. He's authored a new book called Nightmare Land. It's a mind-expanding exploration of sleep disorders and unusual dream states. That's tomorrow night's program. And then uh, Bruce the Shark Markison will be with you again on Thursday night, and he will be talking to the hosts of the new paranormal reality show on the Travel Channel called The Holzer Files, Dave Schrader. Cindy Kaza and Shane Pittman will be all on. It's always a little challenging to have multiple guests like that, but the shark is up to it. And they're going to be talking about what the show is about, what it was like to reopen the case files of America's first ghost hunter, Dr. Hans Holzer. That show premiered Friday night, right after uh, Ghost Nation did, actually, on the Travel Channel. Uh, I did watch them both. Very interesting. And in a final pitch here, go to Scaricon.com. Check out what's happening this weekend in Rochester, New York, at the Rochester Riverside Hotel. The website has a lot of great information. Be sure to check the schedule on all the panel discussions. There's also about 50 film premieres that will be happening, things you've never seen. That will be part of the film festival component. Uh, Parties, lectures, panel discussions, nonstop, fun, uh, unique vendors, and a lot of celebrities. That's Scaracon.com. That's going to do it for me tonight. We'll catch you next time. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJ Paranormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.